everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We are here. We are doing shows. It is a good time. Of course, this one might not be the best time because it's what if week on Broad Street Hockey. So at Broad Street Hockey Radio, we're going to just kind of debate all the what ifs and all these things that have been circling through our minds. And since the Flyers are one of the all-time great what if teams since their second Stanley Cup, we got a lot to get into. It might not be the most uplifting show, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun for you. So let's get into the intros. Let's lead it off with Canada's own Kelly Hinkle. Not anymore, man. Don't Once a Canadian, down. always a Canadian. <laughs> I am a... Like Sean Couturier. He's not even Canadian, true. but he plays for Canada. That's true. He made a good choice, in my opinion. I am um, really bored, and I miss hockey a lot. So that's all I got. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I'm not sure whether to be angry about this or relieved or some weird combination mm. of the two. But I, angry. I spent all of last week trying desperately to catch up on knowing as many draft prospects as possible. Like, basically, the way the way I do my draft research is, first I learn all the basics of, like, about two rounds worth of players, and then after that I start actually watching tape and doing stuff like that. But before I can really start diving into tape, I need to have, like, a general background of a lot of players, which, by the way, takes a really long time. So because the, the, the NHL had this crazy idea that we're going to do the draft the first week of June, I spent all of last week doing, like, a ridiculous amount of studying and reading scouting reports and just learning about the stories behind all these players. And I get done, and then it's like, oh, wait, never mind. Now we might actually do it in September. Like, I just – it, I, I get that, like – that what a sports journalist is trying to do right now doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things. But, like, I am highly annoyed that I spent all this time last week doing all this work for articles that there's a good chance I'm not even going to be able to write for three months. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie, I uh, I went through a similar situation just yesterday. Now, I, uh, I woke up early. I normally get up, like, when Ava gets home from work or later, 10.30, between 10.30 and 1. I got up at 8.30 in the morning, did a bunch of shit around the house that uh, I've been meaning to get done, like, basically the whole time and just haven't because, you know, nothing matters anymore. And I'm, like, feeling good. And I'm like, you know what? I earned this. I'm getting back in bed now. Accomplished, like, six things. And when I got back in bed, I won't say what it was, but let's just say it was something very valuable to me that uh, I miss dearly, and it affects my mood. Uh, I, I broke it, and I learned from that, never do anything. <laughs> never do anything. Take That's no the initiative. That's a really never good, do anything. Really good I, Charlie, I think that you need to lean in and just be real mad because... Be mad, Number yeah. one, number one... The thought that the NHL was actually going to draft in the first week of June is so fucking absurd. It's so stupid that they even proposed that. And if I were, if I were a GM, if I were an owner, if I were a scout for any of these teams, I would be absolutely fucking irate that they were going to hold this draft before it was even supposed to happen. So now they're moving up the timeline, let alone 
it, when the season hasn't been called and hasn't been completed. It's just such a fucking mess. And then they they go ahead and throw that wrench in. Like, hey guys, everyone, everyone, do the the quick. What's it called? Chinese fire drill? Is that the thing where everyone... Yeah, gets out of the car and runs around? Yeah, mm-hmm. that. And then LOL JK. Is that problematic? It might have been. I don't know. It's just one Is of those it? things. Know. It's one of those things that we say, and yeah. now I'm like, ooh. Hmm. It was, it was fun when you were, like, in fifth and sixth grade, and you would do it with your friends. Like, your parent would it's let true. you do it. That was a really good time. Is it problematic? I don't the know. fun part Everything was when you first got your now. license. The fun part was when you got your license and then you'd be driving and lock your friends out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb bastard. Can't say I ever did what? that, but I could see why it'd be fun. Yeah, that's the kind of friend I am, Charlie. Yeah, obviously. Last, but, cer- last but certainly not least, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Yeah, so it is What If Week across all of SB Nation. Um, and one of the most fun articles I saw, I don't remember what site had it. I think it was... I think it was a baseball site. Um, the, the headline was, what if all of these bad things didn't happen to us? <laughs> I'm like, on the surface, that's a really lazy headline. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, God, that resonates with me. What if all of this bad shit didn't happen to me? Like, that would, that, like, I feel that in my soul. Pretty much unless, like, in the last, you know, let's say 20 years Unless you live in the area designated as New England, every sports fan has, what if all this shit didn't happen to me? <laughs> like, Not like us, know. Bill. Ours is the worst. Oh, well, obviously ours is the worst because we're like a real fan base. And that's kind of, that's the that's the basis of this show. Like Steph said, it is what, what if week across SB Nation. We've done some articles on BroadStreetHockey.com about different things in Flyers history. What if they went the other way? And we're kind of just looking at that on the show today. And because it's so recent, because it's happening, we don't even know how it's going to conclude. We don't even have the benefit of hindsight yet. I want to lead this off with, what if this year, the 2019-20 NHL season, played out like a regular year? Hmm. We'd be in the conference finals right now? Is that about where we are? Or we I feel like be... we'd be wrapping up round two, maybe. Yeah, about wrapping, wrapping up, up round, round two, two, I think. Because I remember okay. the... I'm just thinking back to the last time the Flyers went far in the playoffs. Like, that Boston... I can't remember. That Boston series that went seven games and they came back, that ended around this time, around mid-May. Oh, yeah, it's actually... Tomorrow is the anniversary of that game. Yeah, so, yeah, maybe they would have already won the second round and they wouldn't have to go to game six It's or seven. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably would have swept... I'll just tell you my answer because I have some reasoning for it. Kelly just kind of alluded to it. I honestly truly believe they would have made it. They would have won two rounds and found themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, would they have won? Uh, You know, I don't know. But they tend to break out of slumps by getting into the Final Four historically. I'm just looking at, like, the last 25 years. Yeah, I did that math because I'm terrible at it. Uh, So, in 1995... After five years out of the playoffs, the Flyers went to the Eastern Conference Final. They lost to Jersey, of course. You know, we all know how that went. But they did that. After five years of not being in the playoffs, they went. Uh, After getting embarrassed in the 97 Cup Final, the Flyers lose in the first round two straight years. It's, ah, you know, uh, they're they're really underachieving. What do they do in 99-2000? Go to the Eastern Conference Final. After 11 straight playoffs of playoff appearances the flyers go 22 and 60 in 0607 then Ooh. find their way into the eastern conference final in 0708 i just believe after 7 years of alternating missing the tournament and losing in the first round they would have made it into the eastern conference final cuz that's how these things wrap up for them 100% also and they were playing well yeah. enough where it's absolutely it's absolutely within the realm of possibility yeah that's yeah, for like, sure even just dis- like discount that Bruins game that they lose two nothing before the before everything comes to an end. They're on an eight game freaking winning streak, like for real. Everything bad happens to us. Why? Yeah, Bill. I'm. Uh, what do we do? I'm on board with this, and I'm not. It has nothing to do with this. Like every time they come back, they get to the Eastern Conference Final. <laughs> it has to do with the fact that I like I believe, 
that the way things were setting up, I would have went into the playoffs thinking the Flyers were the third best team in the Eastern Conference. I, I absolutely believe they were better than the Capitals. They, they made the Capitals look awful pretty much every time they played them this year, especially in the back half of the uh, the year when the Flyers really were playing well. And truthfully, like I know that the, the Penguins might have been better on paper, but I think the Flyers were playing like a better hockey team than the Penguins, mm-hmm. especially in the second half. So that pretty much just left the, the Lightning and the Bruins. And I would have went into the playoffs thinking the Lightning and the Bruins were better teams than the Flyers, but they're on the other side of the bracket. So, yeah, I would have, assuming there wasn't some crazy sort of, you know, the Flyers fall apart or somebody gets hurt or somebody on the other side of the bracket gets hurt or whatever, I would have went into the playoffs viewing the Flyers as the third best team in the East, which would have put them to the Eastern Conference Final against whichever team of Boston or Tampa got through to, to the Eastern Conference Final. Don't you just love a bracket where the third best team has better odds than the second best team? <laughs> Yeah, it's right. a great system. Only when it benefits us. Yeah, no, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, I, I like Charlie because he doesn't go along with my voodoo. He has actual reasons. Uh, yeah, it's, man, they were playing so much better than pretty much everyone. Now, you say the Devils are better on paper. The Devils? And, no, or the, Devils, the, the Devils are the penguins, better excuse on paper. Me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. No, we, I thought the Devils were better on paper to start Yikes. the year. That's a different story. Um <laughs> Now, you say the Penguins are better on paper, and with the top-end talent, yes. Okay, they have Crosby, they have Malkin, uh, Latang is a veteran number one defenseman, our number one defenseman is a guy breaking out right now, so okay. They have the top-end guys. Are they deeper than the Flyers? No, they, right? Eh, I mean, they're not substantially deeper by any means. They did have a few guys this year, though, that maybe weren't as well-known in Philadelphia that were having really, really good years. Like Brian Rust, who I don't think is that good, but he was having an incredible year. There were rumors that Jake Gensel could have been back by the second round, um, and he was having a great year before he got hurt. John Marino on defense, out of nowhere, turned into this like legitimately good second pair defenseman i had no idea where that came from so they were i think deeper than some he's a quarterback <laughs> yep <laughs> sorry um, sorry but at, please continue and then they uh, they had traded for jason zucker so like they had guys they had guys who i think philadelphia fans didn't realize were as good as they actually were that said the one the one thing about the penguins that i do think penguins fans underrated because they were all kind of screaming, you know, in the weeks leading up to the pause, you know, why doesn't Sidney Crosby look like Sidney Crosby? And to me, it was obvious. The guy had this the same core surgery that Drew and Simmons and Ghost all had that took them a year to get back to themselves. So I don't know if we were ever going to get, like, peak Sidney Crosby or whatever peak Sidney Crosby is at the age he's at right now this season because we know from what we've watched as Flyers fans that – that surgery, you don't come back from it close to 100% right away. So that might have been, in my mind, the thing that would have put the Flyers over the top, over the Penguins in a series, that the Penguins would have gotten 80% of Sidney Crosby, and I think they might have needed close to 100 to beat the Flyers with how well they were playing. So now, of course, we lose that advantage if they do pick up the season. It's probably not as big of an advantage, yeah. And Gensel's back, so that doesn't help. So it's kind of just like... It's kind of just like the uh, the draft lottery after the lockout. They get, uh, you know, the benefit of this bullshit. Yeah, they always do. Why couldn't they just move to goddamn Kansas City? <laughs> That's my what if. That's the whole show. What if they move to Kansas City? My fucking life is better. <laughs> give, it, give it another three or four years. We'll be talking about that again. Yeah, let Crosby and Malkin retire. Mm-hmm. Let the team go into default, and everything will be okay. It's inevitable, oh, really. So, like, does anyone think we would have been... Is there a part of you that's like, you know what, this just put off inevitable disappointment? No. Steph, I'm looking at you. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, optimistic stuff. No, I mean... St- I, this isn't optimistic. I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I'm realistic, folks. No, if... And they were, they were rolling. If someone's gonna throw... If someone's gonna rain on a parade, it's typically either Steph or I. Maybe. It depends on what parade it no, is. I mean, like, Charlie just has facts, you know, and my feelings don't care about your facts, so I just... <laughs> <laughs> 
No, nor do and, I. And Kelly, no, exactly. Kelly, every year thinks the Flyers are going to win the Stanley Cup. So until they prove me wrong, I think that. And then you know, and then they no, have it. do. One year you'll be right. No, I just did a I just did a <laughs> podcast with Big Daddy Graham where we talked about uh, Eagles the Eagles schedule release, and he said every year he cho- he says they're going to win eight games, and then after that he chooses. And I always say every year they're going to win 19 games. And I will be disappointed and furious after every loss, but I believe they will win the, win the Super Bowl. And, you know, they prove me wrong. So I kind of I get that, Kelly. Mm-hmm. I just have a little bit of yelling about sports to do. Uh-oh. What are you doing? I, what are you doing, like, tomorrow? Um, working. But I could probably, I could probably work any yelling if you want. We could um, do all four of us on yelling. I don't give a shit. Yeah, we could. <laughs> so Charlie seems like he has things. <laughs> I'm already burnt out on the NFL. The season hasn't started yet. <laughs> like, there's every single year I get burnout real quick from all the NFL coverage. Like everywhere. I'm just exhausted. It's so much all the time. And the there's 16 games, guys. Like, there's 16 games. It doesn't need to be headlines every single day of the week for every single hour. The season hasn't started yet. I'm already burnt out. And it's going to be so much worse this year because as of right now, it's the only sport that's kind of doing something. I am not looking forward to this. Full stop. <laughs> yes, I want sports to come back in a safe way, but like... To be football, Steph. Here's because after the Eagles Super Bowl, I was just kind of like, you know, it was that uh, that cigarette after sex. I'm like, well, it ain't gonna get better than that. Uh, like I was just kind of. That's like, how I am still. Like I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Here's how you get yourself into the NFL season: gamble. Ah, yes. See, I've thought about it. <laughs> I have thought about it, but. I'm not good at it, and I get really pissed off when I'm not good at something. And especially if I'm not good at it and I'm losing money. Mm. Like, that's just not going to go well for me as a human. You're going to be visiting me, Bear, and the cats under a cardboard box in the freeway. Like, things are going to go real poorly real quick. You got to know how to pace yourself. I'm very good at that because I was never much of a gambler. I have never... Never been known, never been known to moderation. How about that English driver? (laughs) You got the point across. But it conveys my point pretty well. Moderation? No, thank you. Pace yourself? Absolutely not. All right. What are these words? What what are you you saying? (laughs) I thought I would lead the show off with, you know, the most recent thing. Because this year is a huge what if. We know how well they were playing. We still don't know how the season's going to play out. And everyone kind of is just in this pause, and your mind wanders. Like, what if, you know, Carter Hart was what he was supposed to be in the first two rounds of the playoffs? Well, we're probably in the Eastern Conference. Like, it's just something you think about now. But here, the next one is, I think, the thing we're going to spend the majority of our time on because there are so many scenarios and alternate universes. It is, I mean, we, like I said, we could do a whole show on just the Eric Lindros saga. But I want to just start with, what if the Flyers kept Peter Forsberg? What if, say, say they even proposed the trade to Quebec for Lindros and the uh, the arbiter, arbitrator, whatever the hell it's called, decides, you know what? No, the Rangers win Eric Lindros. The Flyers, you keep all these pieces. And the pieces were Peter Forsberg, who was the sixth overall pick in the 91 draft. Lindros, of course, went first. Uh, Steve Duchesne, Kerry Huffman, Mike Ricci, Ron Hextall. Philly's first choice in 93. Uh, their first round choice in 94. And $15 million cash to the Quebec Nordiques for one Eric Lindros, known at the time as the next one. What if they just kept Peter Forsberg? I don't know, man. And I know that, like, the first place people go is the fact that Forsberg won cups. But Forsberg had Patrick Waugh and a very good And Joe Sackick! Yeah, exactly. Like, so Give that- Eric Lindros, <laughs> Joe Sackick, and Patrick Waugh? Guess what? They exactly. win at least two. Yeah, like, so that for me is, like, off the table immediately when we talk about this. I don't want to hear anything about Peter Forsberg's cups. I don't – I 
I don't know if things would have gone differently because it, it, so many other things might not have happened that they kind of built around Lindros. I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard one for me just because it's not like a, an easy choice. I think Eric Lindros obviously at the time was the right choice because he was in fact better than Peter Forsberg at the time. And I think that if he hadn't had the injury issues for the course of his career, he would have come out better than Peter Forsberg. But Peter Forsberg is super good. That's and so it's like ah, I don't look know. at look at like that's the thing. Forsberg has the playoff heroics, and so everyone looks at that. Like the one year I think he led the led the playoffs in scoring and didn't play in the regular season. Like and he obviously won the cups with Sackick and Wah and those awesome. Uh, freaking Colorado teams. Mm-hmm. Look at the games played and the points totals for Lindros and Forsberg. They're almost fucking identical. Like, he missed a ton of time, too. Yeah. A lot of it was later. But, like, they didn't have totally dissimilar careers. They both end up in the Hall of Fame. And they're both kind of what-if guys. If they were healthy their whole careers, they both maybe are thought of even better. It's just that one was on a better team and one had playoff heroics. And Lindros is a disappointment considering, l- listen to all that shit we gave up for him. I mean, just just Forsberg and $15 million, let alone a whole bunch of other shit, too. I mean, Steve Deshane and Carrie Huffman, whatever. <laughs> it, wasn't all, it wasn't all great that we gave up for him. The money thing is fun, though. I wish we still did that. It's just, here's some cash. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Flyers have no a ton cap. of cash. Back yeah, exactly. When there was no cap. You could just be like, "Here's some fucking money, Nordiques who are poor." Yeah, listen, Edmonton, we'll give you twenty million dollars. Just send us uh, one of those two. Yeah, one of them. One of them. Don't pick, even you tell pick. us. Don't <laughs> even tell us which. You don't. When they, when, when either Drysital or McDavid shows up, we'll know who we got for our yeah. twenty million. <laughs> twenty million American dollars, too. By the way, no, not Canadian. Twenty million American dollars. You pick. Send us one. Deal. Yeah, I. I'm kind of with you guys in that I don't know if anything really changes. Um, yeah. Because, and I, I love Peter Forsberg. Peter Forsberg was my favorite non-flyer. Truthfully, I probably liked Peter. Yeah. I, I probably liked Peter Forsberg more than I liked Eric Lindros. And Peter Forsberg wasn't even on the Flyers. Because I just, I was, I was like, Lindros is cool, but I like other players in the team more. Um, but the only thing you're really getting with Forsberg, I guess, is you're getting, like, his peak lasted into the early part of the 2000s with the Avs. So you're probably getting a little bit longer of a period where you have opportunities to win the Cup, whereas obviously with Lindros, that ended in 2000 with the Flyers. And then, you know, he went on to New York, but he was never, you know, never really came close to, to getting a Cup anywhere else aside from Philly. Um, you get that little extra time with Forsberg. And is that enough? I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, you if, if you somehow put Forsberg on, you know, the, some of those early 2000s teams that were really good, do they squeeze out a cup in those years? Yeah, maybe. They A lot of them were close. You know, obviously the, the team right before the lockout was really close. Obviously the 2000 team was really close. And maybe if you give that team Forsberg in the entire playoffs rather than Lindros in the final two games, they win it all. Maybe. They very well could. It's so hard, though, because, yeah, it's funny you, you talked about the, the points. And Forsberg finishes career with 885 points. Lindros finished his career with 865. 20-point edge for Forsberg. Lindros scored, like, 130 more goals in his career. I, I mean, Lindros, as much as I love Forsberg, Lindros was the better player. If you're looking at both of their peaks, Lindros was better. Now, obviously, it's, it comes down to whether you want the longer prime versus the higher peak, especially knowing that the higher peak didn't get you a cup anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that's like there's a I say even with the benefit of hindsight, I think the Lindros move was the right move because yep. there's no accounting for injuries. Like maybe Forsberg comes here and gets knocked out six times and it's like, yeah. oh well, look at Lindros over there fucking winning cups with yeah, whoever. Right. Like, you know, it's it could be. There's one thing though in my alternate universe, and like there's a lot of butterfly effect here, so stay with me. First it's in 1995, Patrick Waugh gets traded. 
He gets traded to Colorado with Mike Keene for Andre Kovalenko, Martin Roshinsky, and Jocelyn Thibo. Now, Wah wins the cup his first year in Colorado, 95-96. Uh, like, he's in Montreal, has won two cups there. The coach leaves him in to give up seven goals. And when he finally comes out, looks at the coach and goes, never fucking playing here again. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> and he gets <laughs> traded to Colorado, and that's their missing piece. Now, imagine if we have all of our pieces. We have Peter Forsberg. We have this stuff. And we trade, like, Pat Falloon, Sean Podine, and Ron Hextall for Patrick Waugh in, you know, December of 1995. That, to me, is a much more interesting question because... That's the part of it that makes sense. The thing that Lindros's teams were always missing was a goaltender. Like, you could argue other pieces were missing as well, but the thing, the glaring hole on all of those Lindros teams was goaltending. He never had a reliable goaltender. And if you throw Patrick Waugh in there, mm, you know, fun hard fact, to say. Fun fact about the Patrick Waugh trade, the, uh, our first-round choice in 93 that went to Quebec, Jocelyn uh, Thibault, Thibault, I don't know. Tebow. Tebow. Yeah, Tebow. I don't Tebow. fucking know. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about him, he goes to Montreal in that trade for Patrick Waugh and we gave him to Quebec for Eric Lindros. I mean, things are so... We might have... Ron Hextall could have been our backup. Yeah, but, like, but things are so <laughs> weird, we though, because... We like, with Hextall backing him up. But, but do you know what I think about a lot, though, with this Lindros thing? Because, as you said, this is, like, the what-if that comes up a lot when we do these exercises. Is like, I wonder, not even just, like, results-wise, what would be different, but organizationally what would be different because like how many people that are my age are Flyers fans because of Eric Lindros That's, like he sucked me right into the game they built the at the time core state center because they got Eric Lindros like no, that yeah, was they the don't thing have that the money to do that without him yeah that's the thing like I I wonder like even if you're talking about wins and losses, that's one thing. But, like, getting Eric Lindros completely changed the trajectory of the organization. And I'm not sure that happens if you're just looking at Peter Forsberg. Yeah, that's, like, and not even people our age, Kelly. Like, my old man who turned 60 this year uh, was never into hockey, never gave a shit about it. And then... You know, the Lindros news happens. The Flyers have what we think is going to be the next Gretzky, Mario, whoever. And all of a sudden, he's like a partial season ticket holder, has a Lindros jersey. Like, think of all the people that wouldn't, like, shit, man, I don't know. Would I be doing this if not for that? I don't know. Yeah. And that's and that, I think, is also a more interesting question because you can't really – know for sure what would have happened on the ice with different players. But I think you can know pretty definitively that getting Eric Lindros changed the organization in a way that definitely wouldn't have happened without him. And that I think is like more important almost. That's it, it did. It did restore the flyers as you know, that premier organization, which after their run in the 80s, they were no longer for a little bit of time. And this, like, in my alternate universe as well, where we have Forsberg and Patrick Waugh, it brings me to my, what, my next what if. What if in the 1990 entry draft, they take at number four Yarimer Yager instead of, uh, instead of Mike Ricci. Yager goes five to the Pens. Mm. Flyers take Ricci at four. What if we're looking at Forsberg? <laughs> it's what like we drafted. All right, all right, all right. Can I can I backtrack for a second here? No, Cause please. Because I, I want to make a point here. You you just kind you guys just kind of went up on like a back and forth, and I, I wanted to bring this up. Like oh, jump in whenever the the Flyers could have traded for Patrick Waugh. They had Ron Hextall back by by 1995. Yeah, like, yeah. Like yeah. there wasn't. I, I don't love the idea that, like, well, if they had all those asses, they could have got Patrick Waugh. They could have got Patrick Waugh anyway. Like, th this boils down to a simple fact of, like, GMs make better trades. 
improve mm-hmm. the team more. Yeah. Like, there's no reason why, other than, I mean, I don't know the, the, the internal discussions regarding Patrick Waugh. Maybe it was a case of Montreal just called up the first team and we need to get rid of this guy. But, like... There's no re- like maybe they're the Ricci thing. Yeah, they 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 had to take one of the two. They took Ricci, but like get Patrick Waugh. He's one of the best goalies of all time. Get him. Oh, trade, trade Ron Hextall a second time. Who cares? I bet you like there's <laughs> like getting traded to Quebec was like a punishment. This is Quebec's first year in Colorado as the Avs. Like there's no way they keep him in the East. You know we can mm-hmm. want Patrick Waugh all we want. I bet you they're trading him out west for what the fuck ever. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but I'm just saying, Look, like this they, is they, my alternate universe, Charlie. I'm just saying that's the thing. Like we we talk about how Ron Hexall was in that trade, or the the Lindros trade, and it's true. He came back pretty quick. He was only gone for like a year or two, like a year and a half, two years, yeah, something like that. No, I'm just like in my mind, like looking at what looking at what Colorado gave up to get Wah. Like I'm putting it in my head as we could have given up Falloon, Podine, and Hextall, and. Uh, we could, and those guys are on the team with or without Lindros, you know? So if we have Forsberg, or like it could have been Ricci, it could have been anyone, just looking at the numbers, the three guys that uh, Colorado traded put it up compared to Flyers. I came up with Falloon, Podine, and Hextall. And of course, there's no cap at the time, so they could have done anything. They could have said, here, Colorado, here's $100 million for Patrick, <laughs> for, or here, Montreal, here's $100 million for Patrick Waugh. I love Sean Podine, though. Me too. I, I met him at like a Foot Locker in the Denver Mall. I met him at a car dealership in Wilmington. He signed my stick for me. He was amazing. He signed, yeah, he signed like a magazine for me. <laughs> oh, Pogues. But time. really, like I, even bigger than the you know the '91 draft and the '92 trades, it's Yager over Ricci. That one makes me nuts. That is crazy. And I think I saw you talk about this on Twitter. Do you think this just boils down to them not liking European players? I hate to say that's what it is because, like, that's a – it's like an anecdotal thing that we all just think Ed Snyder and Bobby Clark didn't like the foreign players. They liked Mm -hmm. North Americans. They liked good Canadian boys. But when you look at all the decisions they've made over time, (laughs) yeah, I think that's part of it. Well, the if if you remember, I don't know if you caught this article, but um, uh, Dave Isaac wrote a story on this. Uh, I guess last month, and unfortunately, he was let go by the Courier Post, which sucks. And someone should hire Ew. him. He's a really good writer. But uh, he did a story. Yeah, I canceled on- my subscription to the Courier right after that. Yeah, same, same. Um, but anyway, uh, he did a story on on the Ricci over Yager pick, and he had said, I think he interviewed the GM at the time. Um, or one of the fly, I forget who he interviewed, but he interviewed someone who was who was in the room when they made the deal, and he had said that like everybody in the room knew how talented Yager was, but they thought Mike Ricci was the next Bobby Clark, and that was like the pound oh, that God. was the pound the table argument that won the argument as to why they picked Ricci over Yager because Ricci was the next Bobby Clark, and that was it. Oh, it's like no. once once you throw out the Bobby oh, Clark God, comparable, this organization. Yeah, once you throw out the Bobby Clark comparable, nothing's beaten that. Oh, they do love to draft somebody who's going to be the next somebody that never actually is. And yeah, it's that is like extremely the Flyers. Yeah, <laughs> when is that like a good idea? Never. When, like, when you put the weight of Bobby Clark, the best player in the organization's history, one of the best players to ever lace up skates in the NHL, a Canadian hero, like, when is that a good idea to put that on somebody? To be fair, Mike Ricci also lost a lot of teeth. So. And he had, like, Ricci had a nice <laughs> career. I'm not, like, saying he didn't have a nice career, but Yager's a legit all-timer. Like, we oh, yeah. get him in his yeah. 40s, and he's pretty fucking good. Oh, God. That one would have made a big, old he was. That one would have made a big difference, I think. Yeah. But I am going to uh, get back on the Lindros track now because there's so much stuff from the uh, from his tenure where you just go what if what if Lindros doesn't come back in the sixth game of the God, 2000 God. Eastern Conference Final? Now, I know, Kelly, uh, you and I are both big Lindros fans, and we this think one he's just a, makes me so mad. We think he's a scapegoat for an organization that had no heart. But I talked to a guy named Keith Jones sometimes. Never heard of him. Yeah, and uh, he maintains that, man, in that Eastern Conference final when Lindros came back, 
Like, their whole thing was we're doing it without him, and they had this, like, the Eagles after uh, Wentz went down, and it was like, we all we got, we all we need. It was one of those scenarios. And, you know, Wentz is much more popular in the locker room than Lindros was, so there's that too. But the, the whole team just kind of felt, we're beating the Devils without him. This is, like, this is our thing. And then they bring him back, and the whole shit falls apart. <laughs> So a couple of things. Number one, could you ask Keith Jones why they all hated Eric Lindros? Because I kind of need to know. I don't think he fucked anyone's wife. I just need to know what the problem was with this guy. He seems like an... Oh, maybe he did. I don't know. Also, uh, hey, assholes, if you were so intent on doing it without him, then you should have fucking done it without him because you didn't. And That's that's what I always say. You lost game five. Yeah. So maybe do it. And then you don't have to go down this road. But also maybe... Don't get pissed off that one of your best players comes back to try to help you win a series that was slipping through your fingers. Like, how is this bad? God, it makes me so mad. Yeah, like a legit top five player in hockey joined your roster and you got worse. Yeah, because you're a bunch of little piss babies. And now everyone, oh, now everyone's looking at Eric Lindros again and no one's paying attention to me. Like, what the fuck is your problem? Win the hockey game. But do you think maybe there's something to it and they could have won, like, game six or game seven without him? Maybe. I, they could I, have, but the idea that he is the reason they didn't is a bunch of bullshit. I think there's probably something to, said, to be said for the distraction aspect of it because, like, it, this wasn't just a case of you adding a guy who's really, really good. This is a case of you adding a guy who basically had went to war with the organization that, that season— Again, he was totally justified, but that happened. A guy who, on television, they filmed them taking the C off his jersey. Taking the C off of the jersey! Like, it was was just drama. Constant, constant drama. And I'm not saying it was Lindros' fault, and I'm certainly not not blaming him for wanting to come back. He's a hockey player. He wanted to come back in the playoffs, and he was healthy enough to do it. So props to him. But there, it was just such a weird season with everything swirling around Lindros and the Flyers that I don't think it's possible for him to come back and the team not to be distracted just because of everything that was going on with Eric Lindros that year. Isn't Keith Jones the one that saved his life after they tried to put him on a plane with a fucking punctured lung? Yes. Keith Jones yeah. is the one who pulled him out of the tub yeah. for the paramedics to get him when he passed out in the tub with the punctured lung. For fuck's sake! Like, what? understand what he was supposed to do like how could eric lindros have made this right i don't understand what he was supposed to do like this would be like if nolan patrick gets medically cleared and the flyers are on a roll and nolan patrick is like i really want to play hockey i'm I'm ready to go and then they put him in and then the flyers suck like uh, nolan patrick isn't eric lindros but that's the problem yeah and it's like like Eric Lindros sat out a whole year when he got drafted because he said fuck Quebec. He sat out a whole year because he's at war with the organization, at, like you know, and then he gets traded. He was con- like think about the hockey men now and turn back the clock twenty three years or twenty years. This is two thousand. Think about how pissed off everyone in the locker room could have been. I know, I know, but it's still ridiculous. Yes, I always think of something different. I think not if, what if he didn't come back? What if his first goal in game six counts? With Mm. less than three seconds left in the second period of game six against the Devils, the Flyers pull the goalie, go real heavy, uh, they have an offensive zone faceoff, it's 0-0, and Eric Lindros scores, I don't know, a quarter of a second after the clock expires. Now, for years, I said it should have counted, and, like, until recently, I was in denial about it. It was after the clock went zero. But instead of going into the third period 0-0, you're on the road with a chance to close out the series with a one-goal lead. Lindros does score late in the third to make the score 2-1. But if that goal counts, maybe they win, and he never even gets knocked out because there's no Game 7! Yep. Also, who like who calibrated those clocks? I don't know that it was after the time. That was it was in New Jersey. It was in New Jersey. It was like the early part of the 2000s technology, who even knows. I maintain like Pittsburgh, that it could have helped. Pittsburgh fucked us over on a replay like half a decade ago. This could have <laughs> easily been some sort of conspiracy. I I agree. 
yeah, watch that YouTube video. You'll see what I'm talking about. I have it linked here if you get the time. Uh, so what we're going to do right now is take a little break and talk about a bunch of non-Lindros shit. Uh, he's just... He's the biggest what-if what player. He's one of the biggest what-if players in the history of the sport. He was captain of the Flyers. We know all these things happen. But right now, we are going to take a break. And then we will be back on the other side with some uh, more contemporary things. All right, everyone. We are back. And we are back with some more what-ifs. That's right. It is what-if week on SB Nation. It is what-if week on Broad Street Hockey. And it's time for one of the bigger what-ifs. Of the last decade of Flyers hockey, what if they kept the 2010-11 team together? Now, we're talking the Richards and Carter trade. We're talking uh, you know, putting your faith in Bob after that great rookie season and not going and getting Briz. We're talking a little down the line, JVR. Uh, you know, maybe Pronger stays healthy. That's a what if. It's That's a tougher one because he's an old guy who got hurt. Sometimes old guys get hurt. Uh, what do you, like, maybe LaViolette's still the fucking coach. I don't know. What happens if they keep the 2010-11 team together, even for just another season or two? I'm going to let Kelly take this first, because I, I, I have mean, a, I, I have a fire take, but I know what Kelly's take oh, is going to okay. be, so I'm going to let her I'm go not, for it. I, I, I mean, like, everybody knows. I, I would not have traded Mike Richards for... I, I feel I'm shocked. I know. I know. Everyone's Oh my be god. To Listen to this take from this woman. I also <laughs> think that you could argue that the pieces that we Who do we get for Richards, Shen and Simmons? Yes. Yeah. Those I feel like you could argue that those pieces were not that important whereas what we got for Carter, obviously, much more important. Like those pieces that we have now, we absolutely need to have. That trade. Okay. I wouldn't have traded Mike Richards. Charlie, fire take. Go. My fire take, which I've I, Wait, can I oh, can yeah. I refute that Shen and Simmons weren't that important? Because they were for like a long time. To what end? I mean, yeah, they didn't win a cup, but they didn't win a cup with Mike Richards either. So Shen and Simmons were the core of this team for a long time. Yeah, Mike Richards won some playoff series, though. Mike Richards was a fucking winner. All he did was win. Yeah, he won at every level. He won everywhere, all the time. Everywhere. He didn't win here. Uh, Well, perhaps he could have had they not traded him. But he didn't. But he didn't. I know, but that's the conversation that we're having. But he might have. Go ahead, Charlie. My fire take is that okay. Number one, and I've I've written this in a couple articles during the uh, during the pause. My fire take is that number one, these two trades were objectively incredible and some of the best trades that the Flyers and Paul Holmgren ever made because they won both of them going away. Because Mike Richards had only like two more years of where he fell off a cliff, and then for Carter they got back Jake Voracek, and then what eventually became Sean Gatorier because he slipped due to having mono in his draft year. My fire take is that. These are trades, these are the kind of trades that more NHL teams should do but don't have the guts to do. I agree with Uh, that. That's fair. Yeah, that is fair. Because the fact of the matter is, is that when guys get into their their late 20s, they're inevitably not going to be as good as they were in their early 20s. And teams are always scared to trade away their star players, even though they know on some intellectual level that they've already delivered probably their best seasons they're going to deliver. We've already seen the best of them. And what the Flyers did, now I'm setting aside the Brisgolf part of it, because the Brisgolf part of this is objectively stupid, and that that puts a, a shadow on everything because that was really dumb. But if you just look at these two trades, these are the kind of moves that teams should do a lot more because objectively they are smart because what the Flyers did is they traded away two guys who were past their primes and they got back four guys who were going into their primes. And these are the types of trades that if GMs weren't, I mean, and I get it. GMs are obviously scared that they're going to lose their jobs. They're, they're protective of that. But these are the kind of trades that like are objectively smart. You're trading away guys past their prime for guys that aren't yet in their primes that have the upside to be just as good, if not better, than the guys you traded away. And GMs don't have the guts to do these trades because of the fact that we're literally still arguing about it today. Now, I'm going to contradict myself because I just said even with the benefit of hindsight, the Lindros trade was good. Um... While, yes, the return for Richards and Carter was very good, I'm going to, like, the Kings won two cups with those guys. 
So it, it's not like they lost. Maybe the Flyers Yeah, I think won. that's fair. I think that's fair. The Flyers may have won in terms of return, but the Kings did not lose the trades. Now, obviously, the Kings trade for Carter later and everything, and that's, you know, they trade fucking Jack Johnson for Jeff Carter, so... Columbus traded Jeff Carter twice and lost both times. Still, uh, <laughs> Jack Johnson, there's one, man. There's one, has... there's one true loser of all these trades, and it's Columbus. <laughs> they lose Couturier, Voracek, and Carter for uh, ostensibly Jack Johnson. Um, but I just I can't say that the Kings like made out poorly, but we, we did get a great return. My what if stems from, and now Kelly, you and I are huge Mike Richards fans. I like we are huge. He's one of my, if not my favorite flyer ever. Um, And going back now that we're in this pause and watching those old games, I'm like, holy shit, did I love Mike Richards? My what if is what if they never put the C on him? Because as much as I never would have traded him, I remember after that Boston series when they got swept and he did not talk to the media and just left town. I said, that's not a captain. And he can't be our captain. And it's hard to strip a C off a guy and keep him around. Have there been times where it's worked? Yeah, Vanilla Cavalier, that ended up working. Uh, Joe Thornton had the C ripped off of him. He's still around, big part of San Jose, you know. But, man, if they just put the C on Danny Briere or or Kimo Timonen, fuck, man, these two might still be here. This is the problem with always just deciding who your best player is and then putting the C on them. Like, that's... And I think that they had decided that Mike Richards was kind of, like, the next... The next Clark. Clark, yeah. Like, they had decided that that's who he was, and so they had to give him all of the things. And they probably shouldn't have, but also, I wonder, like, do we know how he was in the room with the players? Like, was there problems? I know he was shitty with the media, um, but also, like... I don't care that much about that. Like, I know it's his job as the captain to, like, do the quotes and talk to the people. But, like, no offense, Charlie. Like, I don't really give a shit, like, if they don't give <laughs> you quotes because they're pissed off. Like, I don't care. Um, and I know that you probably don't care either because you're capable of writing a very good story without somebody giving you words because you're an actually talented writer, unlike some beat writers who are not. Um, but I wonder how he was, like, with the players, like, if they considered him a good captain. I think he I was from, I think he was just a lead by example type. You know, he yeah. wasn't yeah. he wasn't an especially vocal guy. Um, that he was more just like watch what I do on the ice and that should show you, you know, the kind of effort that you need to give in order to win. And I think that's a totally fair way to lead. Does that work as a leader as the captain in every room? Probably not. I mean, it probably works in a lot of them, but I don't know. I, I never got the vibe that he was hated in the room. That said, mm-hmm. I do think there's prob- there's probably something to be said about, you know, I know we we everybody talks about ad nauseum, but like the whole dry island thing and whatnot, that there is something to be said about the leader of a team showing a good example off the ice too. And I'm not saying and that and I'm not saying that Richards was like this guy who was, you know, who was not sleeping and doing every single drug in the world or whatnot, but you know, there's a reason why players who just are entirely focused on hockey have a little bit more clout in the room if somebody's not quite focused to be like, hey, dude, why'd you, why were you late for practice today? And then, you know, that guy can say, well, okay, I saw you were at the bar until 3 a.m., so screw you. That's and, uh, and From what I heard about Richards, from what Richards said on uh, the Spit and Chicklets interview was like, Listen, I didn't sign up for the dry island thing because I wasn't going to lie to my teammates. Like, and, like, listen, it was a little more than I'm going to have a beer after dinner after on a game night. You know, it's yeah. we know what they were doing. We do. Yeah. But he was like, guys who signed the thing, it's not like they were, like, they weren't being truthful. If we all went out to dinner, those motherfuckers had a beer, and it was like, oh, my God. Like, so he didn't want to lie to his teammates and sign this stupid pledge that was all bullshit. Now, fucking daisy confused bullshit. Even now, 10 years later, there, I have heard from people that I trust pretty explicitly that there are quite a lot of NHL players that are extremely talented and extremely successful and do a fuck ton of coke all of the time. Yeah. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Some players you know and like. Yeah, and and that are good. And the idea that, like, 
because Mike Richards and Jeff Carter went to Sea Isle in the summertime and like fucked a bunch <laughs> of girls and had parties. Like that was some kind of problem in a hockey culture. I think we know better. And like, that's, that's the that's the other part that drives me nuts about it. Like this organization, fucking Rexies. Like they have a bar dedicated to their ridiculousness from when they were at their height, when they won back-to-back cups. Yeah. It's... I mean, I mean, hockey's different now, though. Back then, I know. Back I then, know. everyone did that, so there was no real competitive advantage. Like everyone went out to the bar after the do. game. And not. I mean, yes, some do, but a lot of the really, really, like, do you really think Sidney Crosby does anything like that? That's the difference. Is no. there are guys like Crosby not, who are robots. Yeah. I'm not saying that all of them do it, but I am saying that like obviously Sidney Crosby is like tier 1, but there are quite a lot of like tier 2 players that are very good at hockey that engage in behaviors that you would assume would be detrimental to their hockey careers and they aren't. I'm not condoning it, but I'm saying it's like silly to believe yeah. that like every single really good hockey player is like Sidney Crosby and like, you know, eats vegetables and goes to bed at 8 p.m. And like, I mean, it's just nonsense. It's not realistic. And I'm, I just think the idea, just going back to it, if that's the reason that Carter and Richards got run out of town, that's a bad reason. I don't think, I, I don't think it was the reason. How many stories have you guys heard about specifically Mike Richards out and about in Philadelphia from the people who ran into him? Oh, like, I have friends who ran, like, <laughs> you know, I know lots of people who partied with Carter and Richards. No, I'm not talking about partying with them. I mean, like, people that have just, like, run into them, like, cab drivers or... Um, I've never heard anything, really. See, I've heard, like, about half a dozen stories, and all of them ended with, Mike Richards was high as fuck and tried to punch me in the face. I can see that. Yeah. All of them. So, like, if that's the reason why you're doing Dry Island, it probably makes a little bit more sense than they were just getting drunk down at Sea Isle. No, I mean, listen, there were issues. It's just you drafted these guys in the same first round. You committed to them with the big contracts. I don't know. See it out. Like, also, also, <laughs> like, this is the organization that fucking helped Todd Fedorik get over an alcohol addiction. If you see that your captain and star player and who you've christened, christened as the, the future of the franchise has a drug problem, how's about we try to help him rather than train him? They may him have, and he just didn't accept it. Like, if, if the trying to help him was signing a pledge. You can't force someone, but you can't force yeah. someone to go to no, rehab you can't. if they don't want to go. You absolutely can't. No, but. and we know, like, in hockey, the Players Association, when it comes to recreational drugs, they've got a lot of uh, don't ask, don't tell going on. And a, a lot of backwards mentality yeah. when it comes it's, to. It's all very strange. Which things um, And it's bad. not good. Like, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but. To move this all, along, yeah, sorry, very we got off. no, no, no. This is, I mean, this is fun. It's Richards and Carter. It's something we're all kind of familiar with. It's, it's, it's. You know, I started covering the team in 2010-11 uh, for Bleacher Report. But uh, there's some, like, there's a lot of things to keeping the 2010-11 team together. That you know, obviously, Richards and Carter are the big ones. Uh, you wonder about Bob and JVR down the line, how that all happens with the Briz stuff, and then we need to move J- we need to move JVR before his no trade kicks in, all that stuff. God knows what happens to Laviolette. Like, say no, he wins they, a couple no, they, they, next they, year, is he still the coach? But they needed they I needed have... to move JVR because he they needed a right handed shooting defenseman. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, Th- that's needed why. That. Yeah. Desperately needed a right handed shooting defenseman. It didn't matter that he was bad. There's, Something I thought of today that I never thought of. Uh, if you're going to keep the 2010-11 team together, and more specifically the team from the year before uh, that went to the cup final, does Villy Leno become a Andrew McDonald-level villain? Yes. Because fuck did he ever drop off. After, you know, because he, he had a nice year in 2010-11. He had the great cup run in 2010. Uh, then he signs with Buffalo for six years and $27 million. Ooh. Leno put up 10 goals and 46 points in 137 games over three seasons with the Sabres before being bought out halfway through his deal. Is that good? No. <laughs> Objectively, no. So here's, here's my argument against that. And I, I mean, look, 
it's obvious knowing what we know now that Villalena wasn't as good as we thought he was coming off of that year because of how poorly he did in Buffalo. That said, I think there are some players that just have a good fit with a team and good yeah. fit with line mates, and they make that they elevate those guys to a certain level that nowhere nowhere else they could have replicated that. If Billy Lando stays with the Flyers, he probably stays on a line with Danny Breer and Scott Hartnell, and that line owned. So do I think the contract that the Flyers would have given him would have been bad? Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe when that line eventually falls apart, then Billy Lando's worthless. But his time in Buffalo was weird. He was on a, a not-that-good team. They tried to yeah. make him a center at the beginning of the deal, which was insane. Like, if you keep him— They wanted him, the if you keep him, Only way to do that is to play center. There we go. But you keep him in Philly and you keep him on the on the LBH line. Maybe he gets you two or two or three more good years before it all falls apart. I don't know. That's fair. And that's like when we talk about all these guys, like even Pronger, he's at the end. You talked about Richards and Carter. They're exiting their prime. All these players like it, the idea of keeping this core together is they win. They do end up winning a cup in the next one, two, three years. Yeah, 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 That's the whole idea. No one's saying this works out in the long term. Like, obviously, on this date, even though there's no hockey, the Flyers are better with Sean Couturier than they would be with Jeff Carter right now. Yeah. But the idea is, would you trade a cup or two between then and 2015 for what we're building towards now? Well, yeah. I mean, I would, yes. th I would think most yeah, Flyers sure, fans obviously. would. I mean, Flyers fans desperately want a cup. All right, we have uh, we this as we guess you know took a longer time than the amount of uh, things we have, so I'm gonna leave it up to you. What do we want to do next? What if We're Nashville at didn't match? Minutes. So which one? The Nashville didn't match one is a. Uh, that's a that's, real deep. We have an article email. about that up on Broad mm -hmm. Street Hockey. So let's do what if Nashville didn't match? What if we have Shea Weber? God, that would be bad. In, uh, what was it? It's 2012-13. That's the lockout year. So, uh, so coming out of the money. lockout, 2013 till forever, we have Shea Weber. Like, literally forever. That's the real yeah. problem with it. Let me see. When does he... What one... What I will say is that Weber he, has stayed... a pretty good season this year. Yeah, Weber has stayed good. Uh, the real... Like, it, it's not as if you're getting an albatross... Even in the here and now, like he's probably a little bit overpaid now, but he's still a very good defenseman. The the question in my mind is, can can you successfully build around him, given what they would have had to give up, which is a ridiculous amount of first round picks? Like then then you have nothing. Then you really have nothing coming down the pipeline. So do you are you good enough to win with him? over the next three, four years before the fact that you had no first round picks and you gutted your your you know, your your prospect pool for the next half decade, you know, before that starts really hitting you hard. And that to me is the interesting question. Mm. Yeah, like I wanted him more than anything and didn't care about the repercussions at the time. But looking at what they truly had, they they, it, they wouldn't have been a better team. They would have just no. had another player whose name I knew. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I don't I don't think, as Charlie's asking, it, he would have put them over the top. Like, I don't think that was the piece that would have brought them any closer to a cup. It was just the big-name free agent. It's, it's tough to say, though. Like, I, I think there's probably a case— it's, You know, it's, it's hard to say because of how badly they screwed up the 2012 offseason. Yeah, yeah. But the Flyers—I mean, I did that Rewatchables podcast with Dmitry Filipovich a few months ago talking about the way the Flyers looked in 2012. And what was very clear was that the forward core they had was unreal. And, you know, they, they lose Yager before they decide to, um, to offer Sheet Weber and whatnot. They trade JVR. But, you know, if you can— I, 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 I tend to agree with you, Kelly, in that I don't think the Flyers— like the 2012-2013 post-lockout Flyers, and then maybe the year after that, are good enough to be a cup contender if you just put Shea Weber on that team and do nothing else. However, if you don't totally screw up that offseason, if the Flyers re-sign Yarmir Yager, if the Flyers do not trade JVR for Luke Shen, and then if the Flyers go and they get Shea Weber and they trade those first-round picks, you've got a hell of a forward core. And you've got Shea Weber, 
hopefully leading a passable defense because at that point you still have Coburn, you still have Tiemann, you have Weber, then hopefully Holmgren can kind of like at least get a couple decent guys at the bottom of that of, of that defensive core. And then if you want to go even more what if, if you somehow don't have Briz instead of Bob, then you've got a great young forward core a good enough defense with a legit number one in Weber, and you've got a number one goalie in, in Sergei Bobrovsky. Like, that team maybe can win a cup. But there's a mm. lot of leaps you have to take because you have to be like, well, they didn't give away JBR for nothing. They didn't let Yager go because they told him to wait because they were chasing Parise and Suter. They didn't go with Briz over Bob. Like, if you do all of those what-ifs, yeah, I think that Flyers team can win a cup in the next two, three years. But by the time they offer Sheet Weber, I think that ship had sailed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, so. My last one that I want to get to is kind of an existential question. Say that word again. Existential. <laughs> Too many T's, but Too that's many. okay. Yeah, Too you, many you're T's. Close. What did I say? How is it said? Existential. That's what I'm saying. All right. No, you're uh, you're saying existential. No, I'm just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> what if the Flyers assemble a tremendous amount of talent and are still the first expansion team to win a cup? still have the same early success that they did in the 70s and, and even into the 80s, but aren't the bullies. Do they still turn Philly into a hockey town? Was it the Broad Street bully mentality that really won things over? Like, would it just be a niche sport? I don't, like, would it still be a hockey town without Dave Schultz, basically? So wait, they're still winning. They're, they're just still not winning. Fighting. It's okay. just Clark and Barber and Perrant, and they're just doing it with skill instead of fists. I think so. I mean, it might. Yeah, in my head, in my head, if they won, the winning is, I think, the key. Yeah. Because I think if you had the bullies without the winning, I'm not sure it would have been such a big deal. No, I don't think so either. And I mean, what we've seen, yes, it's a different time, but what we've seen in Vegas with. They're winning. They've got a huge fan base there because, I mean, they haven't even won a cup yet, but they've had success in the beginning. But um, those towns aren't Philadelphia in the 70s. Right. Like, I'm I just it's think a we're a violent, like, we have, uh, like, a love of violence here. I, but did that happen partially because of the bullies? No. I think uh, we're all too young to know. I just like if you've watched the Broad Street Bullies documentary they did on HBO, they just talk about how that mentality really captured the town so much and how the spectrum was so much a place to be because of it and that blue collar mentality that we talk about in this city all the time. I wonder if even if say they win in 74, like is it the same? I thinking a little bit more. I I do kind of think that they probably would have been popular in that they would have sold the tickets to the games and people would have paid attention. But they, what you're saying is like the way that it's ingrained into the culture of the city, I don't think that would have happened without the kind of blue-collar, fisticuffy, bully stuff that came along with it. I think they would have just been a good sports team that people in Philly rooted for because they were good. But, like, the Broad Street Bullies is, like, a cultural thing now. And I don't think the Flyers would have been that kind of mushed together with what Philly actually is if they weren't the Bullies. Yeah, I don't think they would have been the institution that, that they have become, at least. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing to say because at this point— you know, maybe this year aside, because I think this team was starting to reconnect with the city. Um, but it was taking time. You know, even in games in January, the, the arena wasn't sold out. It wasn't full. Um, I think over the last maybe 10, 15 years, there has been something of a backlash because yeah. the Flyers aren't like the bullies anymore. So I can't mm. get into them as much because they're not, they're not the, this isn't hockey that I remember. And, you know, in a weird sort of way, if if the bullies are just a skilled, you know, Montreal Canadiens type team that wins two straight cups, you know, they don't connect with the city as much as the bullies did, but maybe the city is more open to what hockey would eventually become, if that makes mm. sense. 
No, yeah, I get that. I get like, what you're saying. Why, like, Jeff Carter at one point scored 46 or 47 goals. If you've polled 20,000 people in the Wells Fargo Center, who's your favorite flyer? They would have said Mike Richards because he does uh, somewhat close on offense and then also beats the shit out of Matt Cook when we want him to. And also like, Jeff Carter didn't have to look like he was trying, so yeah. we all hated him. No, well, obviously, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a thing in Philly. Like, we didn't like Mike Schmidt or Scott Rowland because they dive and their jerseys wouldn't be dirty. We'd be like, oh, well, they're, they're, they're soft. It was like, well, they're the best player at their position in the sport. Nah, they're soft. Like, who's everyone's favorite flyer from this last period of time? Like, yeah, Claude Giroux's awesome. We all love him. I own a Wayne Simmons jersey, you know? Like, I just think there's that, and it's part of us. I just, I don't know the answer. It's an interesting question, though. I like it. I also love violence. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's it's a chicken and the egg question. Yeah. No no one has the answer. Yeah. That's the fun of what if. And and I think it's, you know, it's important to note that, like, the love of violence wasn't just create a by the flyers you know chuck no, baronerick no. is a city legend and i was gonna say concrete charlie that's who we are yeah like his the the most maybe the most iconic picture in philly sports history is chuck baronerick celebrating over frank gifford who is like half dead on the field and philadelphia yeah. fans are like yeah that's our best moment like it's philly that's just the way we are and that's dating back that to what sometimes. like 1960 I just, this was one I just thought of uh, when we were getting ready to do the show, and man, I just wonder, like, that's the thing that turned, like, now I, I, I'm, I'm at peace with the way hockey is, I like hockey, I cover it, I'm a big fan of the sport, I love all the most skilled guys who never even get touched on the ice, but I've had to adapt the way I watch the game. Like, I still, when something cheap happens against the Flyers, I'm like, well, someone needs to go cross-check someone in the head, that's the way it's gotta be! Like, and that's just how I feel because of the hockey I grew up watching. And I was born in 88. It ain't like I saw the Bulls. <laughs> but it's it's just how the sport was taught to me through people who did see it. And also the Phantoms shaped you. Well, yeah, I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ, those were professional wrestling matches, except they yeah. were hitting each other for real. And then Peter White scored a hat trick and the Flyers won. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's it. Kelly, great job on getting the uh, Expose Yourself segment ready for next week. We have all that set, so we can do it next week. Uh, We didn't get to a bunch of stuff. We spent a lot of time on this. I had fun doing it. How about you guys? Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I like this show. It was all before my time. I I feel bad because it was, like, a lot of it is pre-Steph watching hockey, but I'm glad you were here, Steph. And you get to just hear us bitch and complain uh, and kind of enjoy the misery you didn't even have to take part in. So good for you on that. It's fun for me to watch you guys suffer. It's great. (laughs) That's, That's how I feel a lot of the time. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. You'll find us. You'll find all sorts of content. You'll really enjoy it. Give us those five-star reviews. Give good good comments, all that stuff. Tell your friends. Tell your family to listen to Broad Street Hockey Radio. My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie and Kelly and Steph, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Philadelphia